like and all the ones of like Asian Americans or Asians in general were really problematic and a lot of the books could be focused on culture but at the same time you know Asian Americans are more than the dumplings we eat and chopsticks we use you know and that's a lot of what the books had and on top of that they were written by white people they weren't written by Asian Americans at all You're listening to Chief Executive Ante, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Duan Faltz. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Trisha Hautea. She is a educator and a consultant, a digital media strategist, and the illustrator of Pepper Zhang, Artist Extraordinaire, a book that has been featured on multiple media outlets, including NPR, HuffPost, Now This, Upworthy, Bustle, and more. She and her colleague Jerry started Little Ning Books, which seeks to bring diverse Asian characters to the children's publishing market. Welcome to the show, Tricia. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Jennifer. So tell me a little bit about your day to day. I know you grew up in New York City, but now you kind of work and live all over. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, a lot of my days are pretty, um, I don't have a set schedule most of the time. A lot of it is a lot of meetings, trying to make sure there's good Wi-Fi wherever I'm working. Um, And usually most of the meetings are virtual or if it's in person and I have to be in person, I... I'm in New York and I fly over. Um, so I spend a lot of my time now. Um, I'm actually leaving for Mexico City <laughs> in, in like five hours. So um, oh. so I'm kind of either like packing and moving around or just like living out of a backpack somewhere. So I was about to ask, are you packed yet? <laughs> <laughs> like kind of, <laughs> kind of packed, but uh, definitely should be packing more later, but I'll mostly set to go. But yeah, typically my day is... Um, you know, finding work to do or working on the freelancing consulting work I do, helping out with the podcasts I do with my friend. Um, and if Jerry and I are working on a book, I'll be working on illustrations for that. And then also my own personal practice, um, which is also artwork. So trying to figure out time management in that way is hard, especially during like constant time differences. So it's like mm. readjusting, but that's typically what my day looks like. Do you have any pro tips for jet lag? Uh, stay awake uh, if you can, if it makes more sense. Uh, kind of just stay awake for like the 24 hours or whatever, depending on how big the time difference was. Like if it's from like Mexico City, which is like only like a two hour difference, you're kind of okay. But if it's like Asia where it's like 12 hours, I would suggest staying awake and you know, readjusting back that way. Yeah. I have a three and a half year old and I really want to go back to Taiwan where my family is from. But the thought of making that flight with him, <laughs> just like, I'm just, I think I, sh- I could have done it when he was like little bitty and just didn't know day and night anyway. But now I'm like, okay, I guess I just got to wait until you're 10 or something. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild, especially like I, when I just was in like uh, Southeast Asia and I think my total like travel time just to get there was like 26 hours and I was 
dead by the time. So, you know, uh, honestly, kudos to the parents who have multiple children with them crying and screaming uh, on like long flights. So God bless them. (laughs) My best friend, my best friend took her then two-year-old and five-year-old to Taiwan last summer. And she was like, I don't want to do that again. Oh my God. I was like, I don't want to do that ever. <laughs> um, oh, so, man. so what do you, what do you really do? What do you, what kind of freelancing <laughs> and consulting do you work on? Yeah. So right now, uh, well, my background is like kind of all over the place, but I've recently been stepping into like the impact investing and sustainable finance space. Um, So I kind of work with a mix of organizations from super big corporate ones to nonprofits to like the UN and like really like everywhere in terms of just like how people are allocating their finances. And so I also work with a friend um, and mentor on the sustainable finance podcast. So I help him out also with the podcast. So I'm very new to the podcast space itself. And then I also do just general consulting, which could go from communications, branding um, to kind of like business strategies um and things like that and then also just uh i do tattoos so sometimes i'll tattoo people for commission and then also like just general artwork so it's very everywhere (laughs) in terms of the work i do i think i have a tendency i get bored if i do the same thing for too long i think and sometimes i get frustrated with myself like well if i could find one thing and just stick with it i would maybe be a lot further along, but I also kind of like having the option to do, you know, to do whatever I, you know, whatever people will give me money for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the one thing I'm finding in like, I'm trying to find the balance of like, how can I do what I like, but also get compensated for it. So that's kind of, I also, I've done consulting, but now is the first time I'm really like, stepping into the space and doing it as a full-time gig like without like a formal structure so it's been really interesting and being like okay what am I really interested in what do I hate doing what do I not want to waste my time doing you know so it's been a very I totally feel that I feel like I would just like lose it if I stared at the same thing all the time like my brain just doesn't work like that either so yeah I think I, I spent the first maybe year or so of my quote unquote, not, it's not really full time because I have a small child, but um, <laughs> I spent the first year of my freelance career kind of, is, I called it my laboratory stage where I just like, if somebody wanted me to design a document, sure, I'll design a document. If someone <laughs> wants me to build a website, I know how to build a website. Awesome. And, but then from that, I was able to pick and choose kind of what, A, what I was really good at, B, what people would give me the most money for. Uh, and see kind of what was the most sustainable. So I think that laboratory phase is really, really valuable. Um, how long have you been, how long have you been freelancing full time? Uh, full time, literally, I think like four months ago. So it's very, very new. I did do like consulting previously, um, Mm -hmm. like here and there, but now it's the first time I'm like traveling while doing the thing. And Mm -hmm. I also just wanted to say to what you said before, like being a mom is a full time job. So it's like, (laughs) you did have like a lot of things to do. So yeah, I started, (laughs) I started freelancing officially kind of, kind of put my, like put my shingle out there when my son was eight or nine months old would not necessarily recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) But I was at the point, I don't know. And for those of you who are not parents, this may not make a whole lot of sense. But when you have an infant, 
you are simultaneously exhausted <laughs> and bored out of your mind. <laughs> it's a very strange feeling because I'm like, because I went from like 60 to zero. I was a teacher. Um, before oh my God. My, I was a teacher before my kiddo was born. And basically I had him and I just didn't go back to work. So it was like, okay, I'm working every day. And then you know, nothing. Um, so it's, a, it's a very strange experience. Uh, what were you doing prior to making the jump to full-time freelancing? Uh, so I was working in kind of like the startup space, which was um, not really what I anticipated. I also was not making a living wage. So, you know, it, it was kind of like, I think there was a sign that was kind of like, okay, this is not really for me, but at least I can figure out what I like. Um, but prior to that, I was in a lot of different spaces. I think we both talked about this kind of offline, but we were both kind of in genetics, right? So yeah. it's weird. Uh, I also was an educator, but an art educator. Um, and I was also working um, at different institutions, uh, doing programming and also lesson plans and working in like congressional briefings and stuff like that. Um, so, but this was all simultaneous while I was in grad school. So very like, <laughs> everywhere. Um, so for genetics, it was really about um, genetic ed education and making that um, information accessible. Um, a lot of communities don't really, you know, different communities have had really bad experiences in the past because of genetics and mm -hmm. people don't trust um, scientists sometimes and completely fair um, example eugenics. So one of the things that we would do is really educate different community communities and have different people from everywhere um, share their perspectives about that um, and show that science is pretty beneficial in terms of learning about how your genetic makeup works, getting tested, um, DNA tested and all these things. So it was just like all of that, but making this information pretty in, um, accessible um, when typically it's not, um, especially mm -hmm. with just science jargon can be very intimidating for someone not in that space. So making this information accessible to public school kids and even younger, um, to college, everyone. Um, and then, so that went into kind of talking about policies and stuff like that. So we worked with NASA and like Hollywood people um, in terms of how they present it online, like onto their channels, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I was also working in like arts education. So I worked with um, MIT and I was working with them um, in terms of STEAM, which is a combination of like science, art and technology and math. Um, and then same thing with just the other institutions I was working with. So and then I was also an art teacher. So I did like IB education, which is like AP on like like times 10. <laughs> so I realized I really didn't like grading. Um, so I never actually became a formal teacher because I realized I really hated waking up at 7am and dealing with like 30 teenagers who are full of emotions. <laughs> so it didn't go that route, but uh, definitely use that educational background. Yeah, my last teaching job, I think I had a total of 145 students. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, I, and we had a block schedule, so I only saw half of them each day. But still, I'm like, by the end, of it, I'm like, will you just get out of my room? <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's like, I loved my kids. Like, they were awesome. And, you know, they inspired me and motivated me. But I was also like... I want to go home and I have to grade like 60 essays when I get home. So it's like, you're awesome, but I have to deal with you for yeah, so many the, hours. The, auxiliary, <laughs> the sort of auxiliary workload of teaching is very high. And I kind of wish I had known that before I chose teaching to be my quote unquote career. 
I mean, I, I went, I got my master's in education and when I had a student teaching experience, uh, but it's, it's still different when it's only you oh, and it's, it's all down to you and you got to plan lessons and teach the lessons and grade the homework. And uh, after a while, I just stopped giving homework because I didn't want to grade it anymore, <laughs> which is maybe not the best approach. Um, speaking of education, I really, I do love how you just want, you know, and I say wander in a good way. Like you just <laughs> go wherever your interest and opportunity. What was your sort of formal education background? I know you have a BFA. Is that correct? Yeah. And go ahead. So my uh, formal education was, uh, yeah, like you said, a BFA. So I was doing art history and fine art. Um, not uh, my parents were not totally thrilled about the decision, but you know they supported me regardless. Um, and then I got uh, my master's uh, in education as well. So I had my master's in teaching. Realized <laughs> literally like three weeks before graduation, I wasn't going to take the tests um, mm. for. Uh, becoming a certified teacher. And then I also got my master's, uh, my B um, MBA, sorry. Uh, so I got my MBA afterwards. Uh, so I'm, my background is pretty everywhere. Um, so I did a little bit of like social entrepreneurship stuff. It does sound like though, that you did pick degrees that have been helpful for you. You're still using your education background. You're still using your art background. You're still using your business degree. So that's some comfort, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's so interesting to me because it's like you're fed this idea that, you know, the major that you take is like the one you're going to use for life or whatever. And like, literally, I have friends who um, we went to performing arts high school in New York and, uh, you know, they went into college for like opera and then they left it and literally some of them are becoming like computer engineers are like, uh, actually, I'm going to learn this and do coding. And I'm like, OK, so it's really interesting to just see how everyone's trajectory is working in that way. Yeah, I that was my experience, too. And I I don't know how much of that is like. Asian parents or is this everybody how much of it is like the immigrant experience I also mm. grew up in a Chinese church like I don't know mm. which part of it but I definitely had the like there is one path that <laughs> you follow and it's just and I'm like none of that literally none of that has ever like, that whole like pathway idea has not worked at all in, yeah in my life so I don't know where that comes from <laughs> I totally feel that uh, I've noticed yeah I have friends also who've done that thing where they have listened to their parents and they re they're, they're really unhappy with that decision but they're like oh it's too late now I've been in school for like a bajillion years I have to just keep going and then it's like oh you know so I think that definitely does sit with a lot of people but sometimes parents are more forgiving than others and <laughs> I think it's a matter of how people have approached it for sure yeah, you mentioned how your parents were maybe not super supportive <laughs> when you decided to study art. Um, at, did did they come around? And if so, kind of how did that happen? 
Yeah, so they've never been like blatantly unsupportive of me. Uh, I think there would just be like subtle hints of like, you know, you go to like the family gathering, they're like, oh, cousin XYZ is going to be a doctor and like, oh, we're a lawyer. And then they do like the hint, hint, why aren't you doing that thing? But I think. Well, why aren't you going to marry that one? <laughs> you know, and they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, how are you going to make money? And then, you know, even my grandma would be like, oh, Trish is, she's going going to be a starving artist what is she gonna do and like it you know it happens but um after a while I think uh I definitely tried to do my best in terms of making sure that it was worth it in terms of the education I was getting I wasn't just like sitting around making art and like doing drugs and sitting down and painting big th- I don't know their art school was very interesting in that way you know <laughs> and there were people in school that I was like why are you in school but um there's also uh, the fact that I was really trying to make sure that they they knew that it wasn't going to be a waste of my time you know so after a while they were like okay you know I had to do like the institutional name drop for them to like be a little bit proud I had to do the thing so I was like okay at least like somehow I think after a while they were like huh, you have a background in art and managed to get into XYZ space. That's okay. You, I must be good. <laughs> you're like, they're like, okay, I guess it's working for you. So, you know, they definitely, they weren't like cool with it at first, but I think they're starting, they they trust me now, obviously, in terms of the decisions I make. Well, and you've made it work. Like, <laughs> that's, you're not starving. You're not, I don't know, doing drugs or being a bum or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I definitely watch too much Netflix though, idea, but... <laughs> I think everybody does. <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, luckily, luckily, they are totally cool with what I do. And my mom's a nurse. So as I mentioned before, I kind of do tattoos. So when I was first starting out, she would like send me boxes of like, like, uh, sterilization equipment, like nice. So she would just send me boxes of like the cloths and the gauze and everything. So she was like, supportive in a really weird way. But she started yeah. like, being like, I love you. I care for you. Here's how I, I guess I could support you. So. Yeah. And I think I think that's that's something that I've heard from a lot of my guests, like Asian American parents, for the most part are not going to be like, we love you so much. You know, they're not going <laughs> to say it. They're not going to yeah. say it. But they're going to send you sterilization equipment for your <laughs> for your tattooing or they're going to they're going to refer you to their friends who have a business or they're, you know, or they're going to ask you how to like they're going to ask how you build websites and all that. <laughs> That's their way of being supportive and I think I think when I was younger I didn't understand that and I would be like my parents don't like me. They don't care what I do. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think as I've gotten older, I'm like, okay, they're just, that's how they show it. Right. Um, and if, when I choose to accept that, then everybody's a lot happier and I'm, I'm less resentful and less of a jerk. <laughs> yeah. It took me a while to realize, you know, a lot of the things uh, my parents did were definitely out of love. You know, you don't realize it when you're younger and you definitely take it for granted. Like even my dad now, like I'll just, I don't know, like I'll paint something. I don't know what I'll do, but then he'll like, be like send me a picture. And then he'll show all his coworkers <laughs> when he's like uh, at work, like showing his phone or like when I see his coworkers, they're like, oh, I saw this drawing that you did. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know you, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's you know, it's like the subtle things that, you know, show love <laughs> for sure. 
Yeah. What are some of the challenges you face with uh, your full-time freelancing? Um, definitely uh, invoices not getting paid. <laughs> so that's, that's always not fun and like having to kind of nag people to just pay you. <laughs> so that's hard. Uh, the other thing is uh, I think not having a true consistent schedule, like there's not there one day never looks the same. So it's like really figuring out how to have discipline in terms of how you're going to spend your day. It's like, cool. I might have like five me. I might have like five meetings, two meetings, but then what am I going to do in between that? Like, how am I going to allocate my work? And like, you know, every day does look different. So I think that's definitely a challenge is, you know, I could be going down the YouTube rabbit hole or something (laughs) or like doing my work and no one's going to tell me otherwise. So it's like, no one's going to tell me I'm doing the wrong thing or I won't get in trouble. It's just myself. So definitely self-discipline and time management. And then also making sure you get fairly compensated for the work you do. (laughs) Do you have a, do you have a clause in your contract about like, overdue payments or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Luckily, I have a friend who is a lawyer, um, who's a friend slash client, actually. But uh, one of the things she gifted me was contracts. So yeah, nice. So she sent me a few freelance contracts that I could use, which was nice. But yeah, typically, like, it's not like going to be like five months or anything, but it's still like, it's still the effort of having to chase them down. Yeah. All of that. Um, I I found that having a button on the invoice that's just like click here to pay reduced reduced the the lag time on invoices quite a bit. And in order to use that, I have to pay like processing fees. But for me, that's worth it because that's time I don't have to spend. Like, where is my invoice? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, I was expecting this amount this week but I guess not I guess I will have to go nag them it's just like that thing of like oh I hate it's like you're adults (laughs) right but it it doesn't happen all the time but it does happen so yeah and especially when that's your sole form you know that's your sole form of income that makes it really difficult for you yeah yeah it's like I, I don't think people realize that. I think people think that you're doing other things. And sometimes, you know, you do rely, people, re- well, consultants or freelancers rely heavily on like people paying on time. And I don't think other people who are paying for that work realize that they're like, oh, it's easy. And I can get someone to do this real quick. And then not actually think of considering the other person. Do you have late fees? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. So are they big enough? <laughs> <laughs> I think... Yeah, they're not as big as they probably should be, but it hasn't happened so many times that I had to really put in a late fee. So yeah, sometimes it happens or they'll throw me a bone and do pay more. So (laughs) I had, after a couple sort of miniature nightmare scenarios last year, I consulted a lawyer and also a couple of my business mentors and I put in a project rescheduling fee. So basically... If if some if the client does something that derails our schedule, I put their pro, I put their project on hold, and then to restart it, it's a two thousand dollar fee. <laughs> and I know it seems insane, but 
the reality is the, uh, the, you know, and I think for you too, like, I can't just go get another project like tomorrow. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of lead time for that. I pay for my childcare based on how much I think I'm going to be working. I also turn down other projects based on how much I think I'm going to be working. And so a delay is incredibly costly to me. I've never had to use it, but I have noticed that since I put that in my contract, my clients are much more responsive. I should definitely do that. (laughs) The rescheduling, the pause clause thing, like time is money. And also time is just time. Like once you, you know, you can't ever get more time. So I'm very protective of it. (laughs) No, that is such a good idea. And nobody, and also nobody's ever like, you know, fussed at me for it either. It's just, it's just in there. And, but yeah, I've noticed since putting that in there, all of my clients are much more responsive. (laughs) Um, And I think I put like six or seven calendar days or something like that. Um, You know, because I get that stuff, I get that stuff happens, but stuff happens. Just tell me about it. Like, don't just vanish. (laughs) Oh, like when people do the ghosting thing. Yes. And I'm like, are we still doing this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally feel that. (laughs) That's such a good idea for sure. And I think it scares them a little bit more like, oh, okay, I really can't waste time. Yeah. So if you're, so if you get to the point where you're having too much trouble with invoices, or I honestly, even before then, just like (laughs) up the, I'm serious, just up the lengthy a little bit and see what happens. Yeah, I'm definitely going to relook at these contracts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, your contract is a very important piece to protect you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your book and your publishing house that you, you know, this minor detail that we haven't mentioned at all. So tell me a little bit about the backstory behind Little Nang Books. Yeah, so actually, um, Jerry and I met through a mutual friend, uh, a family friend of mine and his, uh, Jerry's. So we both had this mutual friend and Jerry was like really frustrated because he has two kids. Um, and when they were younger, I think she was like five. I don't, she was like four and five when this happened, but she, her name is Madison and she was really frustrated that she couldn't find characters that look like her in children's books. And the one thing that she, um, oh, might I add also, uh, the kids are half Asian American and, uh, yeah, so they're half Asian, they're like half. So, um, Jerry was born in Brooklyn and, you know, uh, he was telling me like, oh yeah, we're in this really diverse city, but like we can never, I can never find books that like would look like Madison, like, and all the ones of like Asian Americans or Asians in general were really problematic and, um, you know, kind of stereotypical. And yes, a lot of the books could be focused on culture, but at the same time, you know, Asian Americans are more than the dumplings we eat and chopsticks we use, you know, and that's a lot of what the books had. And on top of that, they were written by white people. They weren't written by Asian Americans at all. So he was noticing like, cool, I can't find anything that looks like Madison and I could find books that have animals that she likes, but that's not her. Um, So he's really struggling with that. And he was like, I want a book that Madison would love and really represents her as a kid, you know, um, beyond like all of the cultural things, which again are important, but that isn't all we are. And, you know, that perpetuates a lot of stereotypes that exist. Um, So he was like, 
I want to make a book for her. <laughs> so we were talking and we met and I was like, I love this idea. I'm really excited. And so we were playing around with what Pepper looks like and, you know, she's going to be an artist. And I was like, oh, it could be kind of like me and my experiences and, you know, have elements of us both growing up in the city and things like that. So that's how Pepper was born. Um, and it was really a lot of fun. It was really like a... It was really an experiment for us because neither of us have made a book before. Um, and so we ended up making the book. We finished it and we had a Kickstarter. So we made the thing on Kickstarter. We had a video that a friend of mine helped us make. And literally the day it was going to close, the Kickstarter was going to end. We raised our funds within like two days and we're like, OK, cool. I guess we're just going to leave it up because that was kind of anticlimactic. We made the money we needed. And we ended up raising 200% more the day, like the last day. Um, and we were like, we had a meeting together and because our offices were pretty close to each other in the city. So we would just like meet in between like lunch breaks or whatever and have meetings. And like, I would give him like the drawings. Um, and literally we were like, wait, uh, looking at the Kickstarter and we're like, oh my God, wait, what? is something wrong with it? Like it's going up like crazy. Like what's going on? And we didn't realize that like all of these news outlets randomly were like featuring the book and featuring the Kickstarter. And we had no, we had no idea this was happening. Um, and we thought like there was a glitch in the system or something. And, and that's kind of what happened. So it kind of blew up way more than we like actually, we're like, okay, cool. We'll like sell 50, 60 books. Like it'll be great. Like cool. And ended up selling like, you know, 1300 of them, which was pretty fun for like us not really knowing how, this process works so it was a really fun learning experience um and yeah so we we got on a, a bunch of like tv outlets and like news outlets and like all these things um we read them we read the book to a lot of schools and uh yeah it's been like a fun ride um uh, Jerry does again have two kids so he's he's a stay-at-home dad well he is off is at home um so he he moved out to the suburbs and he's living his suburban dad life now but <laughs> I don't see him as frequently uh, but yeah you know we were trying to figure out like what our next books are uh, we just made a coloring book which is also available online and in Chelsea Market uh, at Pearl River Mart and um, so both the books are available there and yeah we ended up doing that and the other book is a coloring book with princesses from around the world because his two daughters are both now obsessed with little princesses so he was like all right Trish we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna make this other one I'm like cool whatever so we did another one with like all diverse princesses so we're trying to figure out maybe not necessarily focus on Asian Americans for the next books um for Asian American characters but the first one was definitely based on that and I think that now we're just going to focus on general uh closing the representation gap for children in children's books. That's fantastic. And as a parent, I'm like, yes! <laughs> oh, that makes, me, that makes me so glad. And I'm going to be getting copies of everything. Yay! <laughs> I'm glad. I'm really curious, just because I am not an, I'm not a visual artist, and so I don't really understand how the process works. How did you come up with the character design I guess for Pepper um, and I don't know I just I'm thinking like how I like you were saying you know we're more than dumplings we're more than chopsticks but so how do you draw an Asian American character and then maybe this is just 
all the internalized white <laughs> supremacy that I have grown up with. Like, how do you draw an Asian American character right. that's not, you know, a stereotype? Right. Uh, so I think one of the things that... so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun project. So she was actually based on Madison, his daughter, one of his daughters. Um, so we were kind of mixing a, b- a bit of her in and then also mixing in just... Uh, I don't know, We different kinds of ways to make her look Asian, but not stereotypically Asian. Does that make sense? Because, you know, oh my God, like the books we would find, like the characters would have lines as eyes. It's hard. It's just, oh God, it was horrible. So we were like, all right, we're going to avoid doing that. But I think we really just focused on her being a kid from New York City. You know, I think both of us, Jerry and I, were very lucky to grow up in a very diverse place. So I think we used a lot of inspiration for just like our everyday and Jerry definitely based it off Madison. So it'd be a mix. So he'd be like, okay, I kind of like this style of illustration or for her face. And then he would just send me pictures of Madison and like different outfits that he had on his phone. And then there was one that we really liked where she was like in a white dress. So I used that and I had a bunch of materials in my house. So I was just playing. So that was, it was just kind of a play situation of like, we'll figure it out as we go so there are different iterations of her but we finally picked like the final one so that sounds like magic to me (laughs) (laughs) it was it was really interesting because it was my first time like I'm a formal artist but it was really interesting to like truly develop a character like that's not in my wheel it wasn't in my wheelhouse at all like I didn't go to school for illustration like so I was (laughs) really winging it but it worked out it seems like so She's adorable, and the book is beautiful. Oh, I'm glad. How, um, so did you end up self-publishing this? Yeah, so we're okay. self-publishing because initially we, we were like, well, Jerry was looking into it, and we were like talking about it, and there were publishers that were interested, and then one of them, I won't say who, but literally was like, oh, you know, I would really love if she talked more about how she loves being Chinese, and we're like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> the point is that we don't go into like these stereotypes. Like, we don't have to like talk. Like, yes, it's a, yes, we can't not we can't deny who we are and like our identity. But like, I think it's such a problem when people are like, you are just Asian and you should just be known for like. It's like we are beyond this kind of word that's put on us I think and and like a lot of the books that we like like these publishers like oh she just should talk about how she loves being Chinese she just loves it and we're like no No. (laughs) (laughs) we're like the the point of this entire thing is so that we don't perpetuate stereotypes I mean do white people walk around talking about how much they love being oh wait never unless you're (laughs) we'll just leave that one alone (laughs) Unless you're a certain kind of person. Right. Well, and what I love especially about like movies like Always Be My Maybe and even even Crazy Rich Asians to a certain extent, like they're movies with and about Asian Americans, but they're not movies about race and being an outsider Mm -hmm. and being an immigrant. Like it's just Mm -hmm. a romance. It's just a comedy and it's just full of Asians. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, I, I think there's a time and place certainly for, for the, you know, for the immigrant stories, for the perpetual foreigner stories. But I, 
it gets tiring a little bit sometimes. I don't know. I don't, and I don't mean, I don't mean that as a criticism, but just there is now we have these other stories and we're more than just stuck between worlds. We're more than just, you know, looking for our heritage. Like some, we're also just people in love and we're parents and we're entrepreneurs and we're all of these things. And so I, I really kind of love this moment that we're in. Um, I agree. And I think it was really exciting for us too, because just the responses we were getting from parents was so validating. And in terms of like, Oh my God, like my kid literally, like I couldn't find any books that like had someone who looks like my kid, like, and it was like, that wasn't a problem. And again, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your heritage and your culture and where you're from. But like, you know, there's so, again, as you said too, like we are at this moment where the narrative is shifting and the way we're portraying these stories of who we are is shifting. And it's such a good time to be part of that in terms of like watching it happen. We're like, Oh my God. Yes. We, it was like a perfect time for us to like make this book also. So it was really nice just to have parents like send us picture of their babies, like reading the book and like being excited and like wanting to read the book and saying it's their favorite one and you know it's just been really validating um and I'm I'm really excited to make more books uh so stay tuned for those I don't know (laughs) yeah I was was about to ask if do you have anything in the works right now we if you're you're free to share yeah uh so we we were uh we just released our coloring book like a month oh my god how time is flying in august so uh we're pausing right now like i said jerry is very busy being a dad um so he's looking for his next source of inspiration we have a few ideas floating for sure so one of them might feature uh, a boy character one of them might be uh on different people I don't know we, we're gonna we're gonna play around in a bit we do have like sketches we just haven't fleshed anything out but uh we oh. just finished the coloring book which took like a year so yeah I bet that takes a long time <laughs> to get all of those illustrations but again not an artist so like all of this <laughs> is just magical wizardry to me um so thank you so much Trisha what advice would you give to Asian Americans who want to pursue well, any of the things that you do, education, creativity, <laughs> art, entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I really would love to for people to know is that just show up, show up and be present. Um, you know, you do, you do have to balance between like saying yes to everything and then rejecting people. <laughs> like you just have to be good about your time. But at the same time, when you get an opportunity, do show up, uh, whether it be like a networking event, you can meet a lot of people, um, make connections. So the remote life can be a little lonely when I'm not like in person or I'm not in an office. Uh, so stay connected, stay grounded um, and find ways in which you can keep your inspiration um, and play around with, don't be afraid to play around with different different industries. I have literally been in a ton of industries. It still doesn't make sense to me. Um, but you know, I've made it work and not, don't be afraid. Even if you don't have a degree in the thing, um, if you're willing to learn, people will be willing to take you in and kind of teach you. Uh, so seek mentorship also. So find, find the people you, uh, you are inspired by also and talk to them. For sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I've been in a lot of, I've been in a lot of fields too. And 
And that's that's kind of given me a lot of confidence because I have never not been able to make it work. Yeah. And, that, and I don't say that as like, oh, I'm so great. It's, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean that at all. Like I fall on my face all the time, but there's always a way. There's always a way forward. You know, if you've gotten this far, there's always a way that you can get to where you need to, where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. And uh, yeah, be confident in that. Like everyone should not be afraid to just be there. Like make, make your way, like have your seat at the table, make the seat at the table, you know, like we said, or build your own table. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tricia. I love this conversation. I think our listeners are going to be super inspired. Um, Where can people find you on the internet? (laughs) Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So at Little Ning Books, littleningbooks.com, uh, available in different stores. So Chelsea Market, Pearl River Mart, uh, the Mocha Museum in New York, uh, Amazon, but we prefer you support local. <laughs> um, yes. But if you want to ship it far, uh, you could do Amazon. And then also uh, for our Instagram handles are at Little Ning Books. And then my personal one is at PhD period underscore. <laughs> and then for art that I do, I sometimes post at at T-R-I-S-H Trish dot Inc. All right, cool. Yeah. And I will link those in the show notes for everybody. Thanks. Thank you so much, Trisha. Thanks so much, Jen. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Chief Executive Ante. You can find show notes, resource links, and more Ante rants at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutiveauntie.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw, who mixed and mastered this episode and composed the music, Alyssa De La Rosa, who created the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. Check out more stories for Asian American women at www.mochimag.com. That's M-O-C-H-I-M-A-G.com. See you next time.